feeling of, you know, you've got a course, whatever it is, um, you know, point A to point B along this line, and it's you and your equipment, and here's your time, and go. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no support vehicles, there's no, you know, all the hoopla, it's just, it's just very simple in that it's just you and your skills and your gear and, uh, and the route. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hey everybody, we got a great episode for you today, but before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you'd like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. It's five bucks a month, it gets you access to a lot of extra content, and uh, just think of it as buying the show a couple coffees every month, a little way to give back. So we'd really appreciate it if you took that step. Uh, if you're already a patron, thank you. If you're not, consider it. Thanks. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. Hefe Branham is originally from Connecticut, but has since transplanted himself to beautiful Gunnison, Colorado, where he spends his work days as a bike mechanic and his free time mountain biking, bikepacking, and endurance racing. In 2014, Hefe won the 2,700-mile Tour Divide, and he's even won the 500-mile Colorado Trail Race four times now. Hefe, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate Good to being have here. you. All right, man, let's jump into it. So first, I alluded uh, to you growing up in Connecticut. Let's talk a little bit about that and what made you transplant yourself to Gunnison, Colorado. Um, you know, um, you know, I would say I have a fairly normal background growing up in Connecticut. Um, didn't, wasn't really into all that much adventure, um, never went camping, um, was pretty, pretty straightforward, um, enjoyed relatively normal sports like cross country running and hockey and stuff like that. And then, um, um, I had some friends actually who went to uh, school at Western here in uh, Gunnison and uh, were coming out for their uh, sophomore year and they, uh, couldn't shop about how cool it was. So I just, I knew I needed to get out of the East coast. Um, I knew I needed a change. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I had never even been to Colorado before. So, but, uh, it just, it just, it pulled me in, and um, next thing I know, I packed up all I had and moved across the country, and I've uh, been here ever since. Wow, so you flew blind, just trusting trusting some buddies, huh? Yep, yeah, and just, just I mean, it was, you know, I was 19 years old, and um, I definitely didn't know what I was doing with myself. I knew that I really wasn't into the, I don't know, I mean, I hate to say it with a blanket statement, but the materialism that is kind of dominant um, in Connecticut, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, that's kind of like, you know, that's kind of how you prove yourself in Connecticut is having more and nicer stuff than other people. And it never really appealed to me all that much. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself, but I knew that it was something else. And, um, I would have to say that moving to Colorado definitely changed my life. Um, I mean, who knows what it would have been otherwise, but, um, it took me a while to get used to it. But I mean, being here, um, especially in the Gunnison Valley, there's just so many amazing athletes and, um, you can't help but be inspired by all the things that people around here do. And it really just kind of opens your eyes to like, Oh, whoa, I can go do that too. And, um, and that kind of where it all really began was, um, actually with the Colorado trail. And, um, I started, I think it was back in like 94. Um, I, I hiked the Northern half of the Colorado trail and, um, it was definitely a, a big switch in my life. And it 
just totally everything from then on has been all about being outside and um, adventure and um, testing the limits and um, just being outside really. Um, it really, really, Colorado really just changed, changed me for that way. Um, just, just such a beautiful, beautiful place. It really makes you appreciate being out there. Yeah, I can relate. I moved out here from Connecticut as well. And the, the biggest impact on me, and I had come out here skiing uh, with family prior to moving out here. Um, but the biggest impact was just the, the open uh, space that we have out here. I mean, you can see for miles, yep. you know, stand on the plains or, you know, on a mountaintop yep. and just see the, uh, the grandeur of the state. And back in the East Coast, it's really hard to see anything. Everything's sucked in, you know, by trees and hills and often weather, yep. you know, and you get out here, it's like, wow, you know, there's a whole world uh, out there in my backyard to go explore. Yeah, and not, not only that, but just the, the the amount of public land and access that we have here in Colorado mm, as well. Yeah. Um, really, really kind of um, invites you to get out there and, and, and not just do a quick little trip, but like get out there and you can just keep going. And that's what I think is um, very inspiring for a lot of endurance athletes is that there's, it's not like you're just doing the same loop over and over again. You really can just go and go and go and, and, and see things, you know, even if you have seen them before, see them in a different way, but you're more likely to see something you haven't seen before because it's just, there's so much ground. Um, it really is just, just awe-inspiring really. Yeah, well, that leads perfectly into uh, our topics of mountain biking, backpacking, and endurance racing. So let's jump in. I got a like a million things I want to talk to you about. I'm afraid we're going to run out of some Heck time. Yeah. So, so let's do it. So <laughs> starting with mountain biking, um, how is it you ended up getting into it? It sounds like you didn't do a lot of it back in Connecticut. So something. You know, snapped. the last couple of years I lived in Connecticut, we just started to mountain bike. That was like um, like probably like 1990, maybe 89. Um, you know, we, we were, as kids, we were always running our bikes in the woods. And um, usually it was just BMX bikes or crappy old 10 speeds. Um, so we were always out in the woods, basically mountain biking, but on a bike that wasn't designed for it. Um, and so even we were, you know, teenagers, we saw these bikes and it was like, well, that, that, that's what we want, you know. And, um, you know, let's face it, the bikes back then were just terrible. But um, <laughs> but they still, they got us out there and... Um, and uh, it definitely, you know, I, I, I was definitely into mountain biking um, even before I moved out here the last couple of years I was in Connecticut. And um, it, it was definitely a little bit of a translation um, moving out here because back east, it's like, to me, single track back east was just like tight, rooty, you couldn't see the next turn. And then you come out here and it's just wide open space and um, just a different kind of style of riding. Right. Um, but it, it definitely, you know, it took me a couple of years. Um, actually, in the first couple of years I was out here, I, I did mountain bike, but then I kind of gave it up for a little while. Um, I wasn't making enough money to really support keeping a mountain bike operable, and I wasn't patient enough to learn how to do it myself. And um, I actually gravitated into backpacking. Um, and like I said, I hiked the Colorado Trail, and um, I did that probably for like four or five years. I was a pretty hardcore backpacker. And then, um, and then I eventually drifted back into mountain biking. Um, because I, I wanted, well, what happened was, is I was, uh, also a snowshoer when I was a backpacker. And then I picked up skiing, um, cross country and backcountry skiing. And that, that movement from just stomping along, never doing more than three miles an hour to, um, gliding and being able to fly down the downhills really opened my eyes to being able to cover more ground and, and having a more of just a, a plotting experience, but having an experience being out there was a little bit more exciting. And that I basically transferred that by getting into mountain biking versus backpacking. And I immediately got into bike backing. 
because I was still into the camping um, and getting out there and uh, spending more time than just a few hours out there. Um, so it was just like that progression of uh, finding that excitement um, as well as just being out there and soaking it all in. Oh yeah, I can relate. The uh, I've you know ever since I started mountain biking, similar story back in Connecticut. Started riding back there, and, and I don't remember what I had. Some giant, um, giant steel, you know, hardtail. Obviously, back then, um, just heavy thing. But you know, from oh, yeah. day one, I always thought, man, I would love to strap a pack on, you know, and and go <laughs> a long distance on this thing. You know, before bike packing was ever a thing, and of course, my idea was that I'd carry everything on my back, and that would be brutal. Right. But uh, you yep. know, to find ourselves, you know, in today's age, and with all the bike packing equipment available, it is. I mean, it's truly, it's something that that you can you can do. Like you said, you're not just plodding along at three miles an hour. You can actually cover some ground. But you're yep. you're riding slow enough to actually witness and experience your surroundings yet cover some distance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I have found you know that the bicycle is a great way to see things um, because you, you do you know especially when you're you're climbing, which is most of the time your 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 head's up, you're able to look around. Um, it's not like a cross country race where your head's buried and you're looking at your front tire. You know, you're you're able to to look around and really see it all. Um, but you get those little blurps of time where you're, you feel like you're going kind of fast and it, it definitely adds a level of excitement And that. I think that excitement really makes it extremely addictive and, and compelling. And then it just makes it so you really want to get back out there and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Addictive yeah. is the word. Well, yeah, for sure. I want to dive into the, uh, the Colorado trail, but before we do, I mean, that's more self-serving. I want to know about it because, uh, uh, obviously, knowing the the Colorado Trail for hiking, I've always known that, but not so much in the the sense of bike packing it. So, but before we want to do that, I want to talk about a little race called the Tour Divide that uh, you competed in and won in 2014. So, tell me a little bit about that. What what got you uh, started up to uh, to ride the Tour to Divide? That's a that's a hellish race, from what I understand. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, quite an experience. Uh, I mean, anytime you're trying to cover 2,700 miles and change, um, with mountain weather thrown in is, is, is bound to be an adventure. Um, but the tour divide, the tour divide is actually the, the race that captured my imagination, um, and got me into bike back racing, um, to start with. Um, I, I had heard about, it was actually originally called the great divide race, I believe. Um, and it didn't include the Canadian section. That was basically the difference it was just border to border. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard about that. I think it was 2004, um, was the first running of that race. And I, and I, you know, the internet wasn't super big on it. Like you didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there, but I remember catching some blurbs here and there. And I was just like, what? Like, what? Like it, it just blew my mind that like, like I think they averaged like 150, 155 miles a day back then. And, and it just blew my mind. Like, I honestly, I honestly couldn't imagine doing it. Like to me at that point, still riding a hundred miles was, was daunting. And, um, and it just, it just never left my head. And it really, um, it really, really pulled me forward and made me try a lot of things in order to that, cause I knew that I wanted to do that someday. Um, but I would say that I was extremely afraid of it. Um, I was scared of a lot of the situations that I would arise doing that. And I was just basically scared and I didn't do it for years. And, um, and so what I did was I just did all these, you know, smaller races to kind of train myself, um, to do the tour divide successfully. Um, so I started, I started with the grand loop, which is a little race, um, a little loop outside of grand junction. And I also did the Arizona trail race and the Colorado trail race. And, um, 
and then eventually worked myself up to doing the tour de guides the first time in 2011, and then I did it again in 2014. And um, I'll have to say that it is it's one of those things where I think there's a lot of people who are interested in it and whose imagination is captured by it. And I just have to say, if you are captured by it, don't wait forever like I did. Go out there and do it because it is a very, I mean, it's hard. It's brutal. It'll make you cry. It'll make you want to go home. But it is an amazing experience. Um, the first time I did it was just absolutely powerful. And um, it, it was just it was just such an amazing time to be out there. And, I mean, even though it hurt so much, I would not have traded it any minute I was out there for any other experience. It was just so fulfilling. And like I said, it was such a dream that I wanted to do for so long that it felt so good to be out there. And um, it, it was just, it, it, it's a cool experience. It, it, it's, it's definitely different than doing these other races like the Colorado Trail Race, which are relatively short in time. Um, you know, you kind of get into the zone and then it's over. Whereas the Tour Divide, it, it really does feel more like a tour uh, because it feels like your lifestyle becomes basically riding your bike, finding food and water, uh, finding shelter, um, and repeating it. And, and you've, you're out there long enough that you really get into this groove. Um, and it really, yeah, and it really just, um, it, it feels like it's your life. And it, it, it's a very, um, it's a very fulfilling way to, to travel. And, and like we said before, um, you get to see some very, very rural and, um, beautiful places and it's just a really cool little slice of america um that you really get to experience firsthand and that you were just you're there you know you're you're riding in it every day you're seeing the sunrises and the sunsets you're sleeping in the dirt um you're seeing all the animals it's just it's you're you're just so in that zone that it's a it's a very special experience and like i said if anybody out there is thinking about doing it i'm not saying rush in there unprepared but make it happen um because life's too short not to live your dreams and it is it is a worthwhile dream for sure yeah, right. Well, you make a good point, you know, and we all know, you know, many of us, we take a day hike or, you know, an overnighter, um, or we, you know, go on a, a short uh, ride, whether it be a mountain bike or, or motorcycle or something. And it takes you the, a day or two just to get into that rhythm, that groove, like you said. But if you're out there for multiple days on end, you finally get over that, that kind of hump, you know, after those first couple of days and you finally do reach that yep. groove and that it transitions into a completely different adventure in that point. Yep. It becomes, you're basically like, you're, you're completely saturated by the experience mm -hmm. and that, um, can be both really, really, really wonderful. And, you know, when it's not going well, it can be really painful too, <laughs> because you are, you are surrounded by nothing, but, um, more of that experience, you know, it's not like you're going to like all of a sudden be back in your living room. Yeah. Right. Like you, you're, you're there and you have to get to the next point at least, um, before you could even think about bailing. Um, but the, the just, it really is just an amazing experience. Um, highly suggest it for sure. So while we're still on the tour divide, share a story, um, good or bad from the, from one of your races. Uh, from the divide, yeah. Um, sure, I'll uh, I'll tell you the probably the most heartbreaking story of the divide for me um, was um, it was 2014, and um, like like we were talking about, it was my second my second run, and um, and I'll be completely honest with you, I I went out there going for the record, I wanted the record and I wanted the win, and um, I trained really hard for it. I did so much preparation. And uh, it, it definitely was my focus. And um, the start of the race, it was raining and snowing. And it rained and snowed 
think for like four and a half or five days, basically oh. straight. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and living in the mountains, you, you get your butt kicked pretty regularly if you're out there enough. And, um, and I, I, I've gotten my butt kicked more times than I can count. And I'll tell you that four and a half days was just, just brutal. I mean, it just decimated me. Um, and like I said, I was really focused on the record. So despite the fact that the weather was terrible, conditions were not fast, I was still doing everything in my power to stay at record base. So I was basically sleeping less to make it happen. And um, I was probably going close to 20 hours a day. And um, I was leaving Butte, Montana. And um, I actually bumped into uh, Rob Leipenheimer, who runs the Sportsman up there. And he's um, normally his shop is right on the route, but they changed the route for 2014, so it didn't go by. And um, I was at a gas station in Butte, fueling up. And um, he happened to he happened to see my tracker, and he came out looking for me to make sure everything was okay. And um, we were talking for a few minutes, and he's like, "You know, there's a big storm coming in tonight." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's been raining and snowing the last four and a half days." And he's like, "Well, there's a big." storm coming and I'm like are you kidding me and he's like yeah and I'm like well I'm going you know like I'm going like I'm not stopping and so anyways I take off I leave you and it just is just the nastiest night and it starts snowing and you go over this one it's pretty legendary even when it's dry it's known as uh, uh, Fleecer Ridge and um, there's a section of it where there's no trail and then there's a section where you go basically straight fall line down the hillside and it's marginally rideable even in dry conditions and um and I got up there, and there was six inches of fresh snow, and it was just whiteout conditions, and it was snowing like crazy. And I, I basically blew apart going over Fleecer Ridge, and uh, coming down the other side, uh, I eventually got out of the snow, and it was just raining, and um, and I was just frozen to the core, and uh, I didn't have a tent, I just had a bivy, and I knew that I couldn't bivy out that night. Um, I just I was soaking wet. There's no way I was going to get warm. My teeth were chattering. And, um, and I was basically forced to get a hotel room in, in Wise River, Montana, and uh, take a shower and sleep in a warm bed just in order to get my body temperature back up. And in that moment, I just, I, the, my shot of the record just evaporated. And, um, and as I tossed and turned in that hotel bed, as warm and comfortable as it was, all I could think about was the fact that I felt like I should have been out there in the rain and just sucking it up. And it was, it was just really heartbreaking to basically have the dream that I had going into this basically taken away. And, um, and it was, it, you know, it's still, it's still, it still sings a little bit to this day, um, to be completely honest, because I don't know if I'll be able to get back out there for the tour divide again. And, um, and, uh, just, just how weather can just completely, uh, completely change what you have been planning for years. And, and like I said, it was definitely a heartbreaking moment for me. Oh yeah, weather can make it a completely different, completely race, different, a different course. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you yeah. can't plan for it. You just simply have to to go on the dates that everybody's going and just hope that it yep. turns out. But yeah, that's uh, that's gnarly. a major bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what freaks me out about bike packing. Um, I love the idea, and I haven't done it yet. Um, I have a mountain bike, but I'm still trying to figure out how to get gear on it. It's a full suspension, which you know chews up a lot of the uh, the inside of the frame where you can carry a lot of yep. your gear. But the thing about bike packing is you're so limited on gear, and it just freaks me out. Like something like the Tour Divide, you can go through so many different. Um, temperature ranges and you know geological uh areas that how in the world do you prepare 
with gear for that. I mean, you're talking bivy. I mean, so you don't sleep well in a bivy. I mean, you're slightly protected from the elements, but this is yeah. not warm I mean, camping. No, it's not. Um, it, it's definitely different. You know, anytime you're, you know, even even backpacking, anytime you're carrying everything, um, it's always a compromise between comfort and uh, weight, mm-hmm. basically, or or space, one of the two. Um, so you're definitely you're definitely compromising. And 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 anytime you throw the word race into things, it changes <laughs> things even more because you're you're so much more focused on speed. And at some level, weight has an effect on your speed. And so. I mean, if you saw my gear list for the Drew Divide in 2014, you'd probably laugh because I barely carried anything. I mean, and, and and looking back, I probably should have paid a little bit more. But if I was to do it again, I probably wouldn't carry that much more because right. it, it really does um, all that weight slows you down when you're trying to do 200 miles a day, and um, it's uh, you know like it is a compromise. But and some of that is just um, it's just experience and just being out there and and um, and learning how to stay warm and places to camp that keep you warmer and drier. Um, things like that can really boost your confidence. And they often say with anything ultralight um, is you can't go ultralight unless you have the experience to go with it. Um, you can go by the lightest gear, but if you don't know how to use it and you're not being smart, um, you could very, very easily ruin your trip. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I, I did a lot of camping a lot of backpacking and a lot of bikepacking before I tried any of these things. So I would say experience has a huge part in making that a little less scary for sure. Yeah. Go, go do it. Yeah. If you want to do the tour divide, go do it, but definitely uh, get yourself set up uh, mentally oh, yeah. and with the correct gear, with the right training. Well, there, there's a, um, there, there's a term called the sub 24. I don't know if you've heard of that, No. Um, but it's basically, uh, it's basically just doing a, a, a sub 24 hour uh, bikepacking trip. And, um, you know, depending on where you live, it's it's a fairly easy thing to pull off. You know, um, like living here in Gunnison, it's it's very easy to go like maybe five or ten miles and find an amazing camp spot where you won't see anybody else. Um, and so it's a you know, it, basically the idea is that you 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 go to a familiar place and um, that's not that far away, and um, but you still you leave town, you have all your gear, you go someplace and you set up your camp. And, um, and you have that experience. And, and, and every time you do that, it builds confidence and it builds experience and it allows you to, to look at it um, differently and, and maybe look a little bit farther, a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. And it, it's, it's, it's baby steps, you know. Like there's a lot of people, believe it or not, who show up for the Drew Divide and it's the first bikepacking experience. Really? And that seems that sounds insane, but it's not unusual. Wow. Um, and so – but a lot of those people don't make it very far either. And so, you know, I temper my, my, my advice to go out and do it with also the advice of being prepared for it too. And, um, do those little trips because the little trips are awesome. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with little trips. Um, little trips are the foundation for, for the big trips for sure. Um, so yeah, a little bit of homework makes, um, makes everything a lot better for sure. Yeah, well, they're not only uh, good ways to get your gear straight and comfortable with it, but I imagine they're also confidence boosters at the same time as you take exactly. your steps up. Yep. You know, finally get to to walking, then running, yep. and then racing. You know, your it helps a ton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By now, you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bentgate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. 
They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. All right, let's talk about the Colorado Trail then. Um, Again, like I said, I've known plenty about the Colorado Trail and and hiking it, Um, but it wasn't until recently that I discovered the actual Colorado Trail race. So this started back in 2007, correct? Yep, yep. 2007 was the inaugural, yep. Yep, 2007, and it's nearly um, 500 miles. What I understand is it's gone through a, a few iterations since the uh, the birth of it in 07. So I imagine the mileage has has ranged a little bit. But you have yeah, written sure. it. Did I get it right? Eight times now. Uh, let's see, I think I finished it seven times. I started it one other time and didn't finish. Okay. Um, 2011, I started it, and it was the same year I did the Tour Divide, and. Um, that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good excuse. I'll, I'll let you have that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. I made it to Leadville wow. and um, it was before I got to Leadville, but I was like, yeah, I, I have a lot of time and I definitely was not going to be able to do it in the time I had. And, yeah. and uh, going into Leadville, I was like, okay, yeah, this is not going to happen. <laughs> a little, so, little too gung-ho that year. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely way too gung-ho. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. reality was a much different situation. I'm sure. So let's go into what the trail is. Now, for those that don't know what the Colorado Trail is, uh, maybe out of state, this is a trail that runs from essentially Littleton, uh, which is south. Uh, West Denver and runs out to Durango, which is in the southwest corner of the state. Um, like I said, it's uh, roughly 500 miles. What kind of um, is loaded question? What kind of elevation uh, elevation gain are we talking here? I read it's pretty extreme. Um, you know, I I, I believe that um, they're saying it's between sixty and seventy thousand. Yeah, seventy is what I read. Um, yeah, and I, I I don't think my GPS clocked it last time I did it, um, so I, I can't verify that that's 100% true, but I've heard it from a few different sources, so I would say it's probably about right. Um, and that's one thing that sets the Colorado Trail Race apart from a lot of other uh, bikepacking races. It's just there is a lot of up and down. Um, and um, as anybody who's probably ridden in the mountains in Colorado can attest to you, it, it, there's rarely too much flat. Um, you're pretty much going up or you're going down and it's usually pretty steep and rough in between. Um, and yeah, in the Colorado trail, the, the race itself has changed quite a bit from the beginning. Um, as, um, more sections of trail have been basically built by the Colorado trail foundation. Um, they've been slowly adopted by the race itself. Um, so it, it's actually gotten a lot harder and it's gotten longer um, over the years. Um, the original course was actually quite a bit easier than the current course. The current course is definitely really, really, really hard. Um, I would say it's it's the hardest course is the current course for sure. 
Wow. And they also reverse they also reverse the direction every year now too. Um, last year we went Denver to Durango, and I believe this coming year will be Durango to Denver. It alternates every year now, which throws a curveball into things too. So how does um, that? Yeah. Uh, how do they compare going? Uh, I don't I don't know if I want to say east to west, west to east, or <laughs> north to south, but yeah. how does it compare between um, Denver to Durango and back? You know, it's still very much up up for debate which way is, quote-unquote, faster or easier. Um, They both kind of have their own unique um, challenges um, um, as far as resupply. I would say the resupply is um, definitely um, a little different going in the different directions. And also, you know, I think that you don't hit tree line going out of Denver for, like, I think, like, 70 miles or something like that, whereas you hit tree line – like 25 miles in going out of Durango. So you, you do a lot more climbing right off the bat and you get kind of a, a good slap in the face really quickly going out of Durango. Um, but yeah, either way it's, it's, it's hard. Um, I wouldn't say either direction is, is easy by any means. And I, I really couldn't tell you if one of them is easier than the other. They're both really, really tricky. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite either. Um, I, I like it in both directions be honest yeah um yeah i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> no it does and you know that's how the it's how it's typically answered on the uh you know any of the the three at pct and uh, cdt it's you know it's the same you're either going to get the steep stuff out of the way uh off the bat or you're going to warm up but one way or another you got to deal with it and do you want to deal with it while you're exhausted yeah. or do you want to get slapped yep. in the face right away i mean i know living on the front range every time i go mountain biking i have to ride up you know, so it's, you know, my poor son is oh, like, yeah. why are we always starting out our rides going up? I said, well, you live in the flatlands, <laughs> you know, you yep, got to ride up climb. To <laughs> You got to climb. No, for sure. And that, I mean, that, that that's definitely the case. A lot of people say that going out of Durango, you, you do some of the hardest stuff when you're a little bit fresher. Um, but I, like I said, I don't know if it really is any easier. It's just a kick in the pants either way. Right, right. Well, here's what blows me away. I mean, we're talking again, like I said, 500 miles and the course records. I think we're down, we're under four days now, right? Three days, 19 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't remember what Neil did it in this year, but he was definitely under three days. Um, I want to say you, yeah, I, I can't remember the, the number, but yeah. Yeah. 31950. Uh, yep. And I, I did a, a, a shorter, easier course. Uh, I think it was 2012. 12. Um, I was, I was the first one to go under three days. Um, I did literally like it was three twenty three forty two or something like that. Like I couldn't have been any closer to under four days, but, and that was a significantly easier course. Um, I, I really can't imagine going sub four days on the current course. It's, it's 50 miles longer and I think it's got 10,000 more verticals than the one I did it on. And so it's, it's, it's really impressive. Um, that they're still going under four days. Man. Could it be that part of me just doesn't want to go there anymore? Right. Um, just because it requires so much, uh, so little sleep, I should say. Um, not only do you have to be going fast, but you, I mean, I think Neil was sleeping an hour, hour a night, uh, when he set the record this year. And, um, that's how I've done it in the past is basically sleeping an hour a night. And it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of an interesting experience, but it's not necessarily a very pretty one. And I, I don't necessarily want to do that again. No, no, I can't. I mean, I can yeah. imagine writing it. I mean, I want to write it. I want to 
ride the trail in the two weeks or whatever it takes for a normal person like me to ride the trail, but I can't even <laughs> right? imagine riding it with that little sleep uh, at, at a a nice pace, you know, much less race the thing yeah. with an hour of sleep. That's got to be torture on your body. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I won't deny it's uh it's a pretty, it's a pretty crazy experience. Yeah. And, and, and honestly the difference uh, between doing like a four and a half day CTR and a sub four day CTR is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, that 12, trying to trim that 12 hours off um, is just, is just mind blowingly difficult. Um, I know that sounds kind of crazy to a lot of people, um, but for myself, the last two years um, I've done it, I was, I think I was like 412 or something and 415 in the last two years. And, and, and there's definitely some very uncomfortable moments out there. Um, but for me, it's, it's, it's not that hard to do a sub five day, but to do a sub four day is just brutal. I mean, the difference is, insane um and it's it, it just so much less sleep so much more pushing uh your body um just just that much harder and um it's just it's it's very very difficult um and yeah honestly anything under i mean i would say anything under nine days is still damn respectful as far <laughs> as um a pace goes because you, you're still pushing it really hard you're still not sleeping a lot you're still enduring a lot of of crappy weather and really long days and, um, a lot of saddle time. So it's, it's, um, I mean, my, my hat's off to anybody who finishes the Colorado trail period. Um, but if you're doing it under nine days, you, you're, you're, uh, you're a haunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I'm going to leave that up to you guys. I have dreams of writing it, but like I said, I'll take the two weeks or more and I will probably end up having to do it in a couple different trips. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, no life, life gets in the way of things like stuff like that. No, and, 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 you know, you know, coming from somebody who is into the speed aspect, um, I think that doing it on a tour is, is, is an absolutely beautiful, wonderful endeavor um i think that racing has its place but touring is definitely a great way to do things too and i mean i've done it enough times that i don't feel like i'm missing out on anything by riding all night um see, missing you know a lot of uh beautiful flowers and stuff like that because i can still imagine in all the other times that i've been through those same sections so i can kind of fill in the blanks even if it is dark um but you know there's there's a lot of people who've said that you know riding the Colorado trail um, any of it at night is just, just, just wrong. <laughs> Basically that like missing any of that ground, yeah. uh, missing seeing any of that ground. is just, it's just wrong because it's just so such, such a beautiful, beautiful trail. Um, I mean, not the trail itself, the trail itself varies from beautiful to awful, but the terrain you go through, is just really, really spectacular. And there's places on the Colorado trail that, you know, I've been, I haven't been, everywhere but i've been a lot of places and there are a few locations along the trail that are just the most beautiful places i've ever been um just really 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 pretty spots um and racing it like i can't tell you how many times you like go by a spot like that is the most perfect camp spot i've ever seen you're like, yeah, but I'm going to keep riding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's almost heartbreaking how many times you're like, wow, that is the most perfect spot. Or, or you do pass someone who is camped and they have their campfire going. And you're like, yeah. You're like, no, nope, I'm just going to keep riding to the night by myself, talking to myself, singing songs, going crazy. <laughs> you know, so there's definitely, I, 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 I applaud people who go out there and just tour it. I think it's a, it's 
spectacular way to see the trail and um not everybody should race um racing is a great thing but touring it is is just spectacular i think yeah yeah well i look forward to it someday well i don't want to get off that uh topic without mentioning that uh you may have started eight times completed seven times but out of those you won it four times that's that's pretty darn impressive yeah i guess i have won it four times haven't i that's uh, that's pretty right? serious. I mean, uh, I don't, yeah. I haven't really paid attention to how many entrants are in these things, but uh, but yeah, I mean, to win it four times, that's uh, that's an impressive feat. So kudos to you, man. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is that the fact that I started seven times, and um, and you know, like this year, I mean, the win, I mean, I, 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 technically I won, but I don't really feel like I won the race this year. Um, with Neil starting a day after us and and going basically faster than everybody. Um, I don't know if you know the story about this year's race, but uh, no. Neil Belchenko started with everybody else and um, got about 30 miles in and laid his bike down on a switchback and broke his shifter paddle off. And so he, he ended up DNFing, going back to Denver, getting his bike fixed, and starting 24 hours after the field. And he passed everybody but me. No kidding. He was literally 22 hours faster than me, but because he started 24 hours behind me, he didn't get the official win. Um, but in my mind, you know, I mean, quote unquote, technically I won, but really in my mind, Neil definitely won the race. Um, if he hadn't had that little mishap, he definitely would have been right. out there in front by far. Right. Um, but yeah, technically I won. Um, and, and, and I'm not, you know, I think it's great, but um, I'm not like, you know, rubbing that in anybody's face by any means. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you, you deserve I, it I, though, I, man. Take it. <laughs> yeah. You'll be I, back. I, you know, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's it, I'm not done with the race, but um, I doubt I'll be winning too many more just because uh, those guys are just going so much faster and are willing to sacrifice um, a little bit more than I am at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I, I love the Colorado Trail, and I'm going to race it as many times as I possibly can. Um, I won't be able to do it this summer, but I'm hoping to be back the summer after for sure. And um, yeah, it's 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 a different experience every time, and. Um, and uh, it's it's a powerful experience every time, and uh, it's something that and it's it's a fairly easy one for me to pull off because the logistics are fairly easy. I live halfway between the start and the finish, um, so it's only a four-hour ride to the start or finish, depending on which direction it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the trail extremely well, um, so it doesn't take a, require a lot of planning. Um, and uh, like I said, it's 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 an experience that I I really really do enjoy, and um, and. Uh, it, it's different every time and uh, that, that's what kind of keeps me coming back. So I'll, I'll probably keep doing it. Yeah. So when are you going to set out to tour it and not race it? Um, that's a good question. Um, me and my girlfriend have talked about it quite a bit. Um, it's definitely tricky getting time off in the summer. Um, so I would imagine we'll probably end up touring sections of it rather than doing the whole thing. Um, because like you said, it, it's definitely, you know, getting two weeks off in the summer isn't that easy to pull off. But um, we've done little sections. We did uh, section uh, 23 this uh, summer, um, and that was awesome. Um, and uh, if anybody's familiar with the, the trail at all, section 23 is a relatively new section. Um, it's been only around for like six or seven years, and uh, it's all above treeline, and it is absolutely spectacular. And um, it's 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 if anybody wants to do it, uh, a day ride or a couple day trip, um, 
it's it's not an easy section. Like I said, it's above tree line. There's a lot of uh, lot of storm activity in that area, but it is absolutely magnificent. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite sections of the trail. So, um, yeah, we'll probably just keep doing little sections here and there, and um, just kind of knocking off little bits. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point, and uh, I wanted to ask that. So, if somebody wanted to ride some of it but not do the whole thing, is section twenty three? That's your recommendation of the the one to do. Um, I mean, it's not like, it's not the easiest section to do. It's probably got the shortest window as far as, um, from being snow free to mm. getting snow again. Um, it's not the section to do. I mean, there are a lot of sections of Colorado Trail that are worth doing. There's only a few sections that are quote unquote, not worth doing, so to speak. Um, but no, it's, it's a great section. I would also say the sections from Silverton to Durango or vice versa is spectacular. Um, oh, there's yeah. some really great sections off of Kenosha Pass around Breckenridge. Um, there's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of little pits of the Colorado Trail that I, 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 I can close my eyes and I can picture and it makes me smile for sure. Um, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be any one section. And if you live in Colorado, um, just finding a section that's relatively close to home that you can work out the logistics for is, is, is good enough reason to do that section. Um, they all have really, really cool bits to them. And, um, um, I would, I would suggest doing anyone that kind of catches your imagination. Um, they're all worth doing. Section 23 is just one of those sections that's like just so incredible. Um, because it's just, it's it, like, you feel like you're in Switzerland. Um, when you're up there, you can't see, you can't even see the valley floors in a lot of places. All you see are mountaintops. Um, you can't see any towns. You can't see power lines. You can't see hardly anything except mountains. And, um, it, it really is just, just awe-inspiring um definitely recommend getting down there but it's not an easy one to pull off either but it's definitely um just beautiful down there but you know the prettiest section i would have to say is probably um molas pass to durango mm-hmm. um if i was i mean that in section 23 are probably the prettiest sections of the colorado trail for sure oh you can't uh you can't find yourself lost in the san juans and not open up your eyes to absolute oh my gosh Probably the most you know it's some just, of the most beautiful uh, scenery it's in the world. Mag- it's just magnificent down there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. If you want to get into backpacking, but you're not sure where to start, go check out campcrate.net. Campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Campcrate. Rent. Explore. Return. So you obviously have a lot of passion uh, for this. And I love that. And that's what our show is about is, uh, people that have passion for their adventure sport. So it begs the question, what do you get out of it? What is it that you get out of doing these races in, in this grueling punishing weather? Um, what does it do for you? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the short answer is that it kind of makes me kick. Um, I would say that like everyday life isn't necessarily easy for me, like getting up and going to work. Um, I don't like get out of bed and be like, yeah, I'm going to work, you know, <laughs> like 
I definitely kind of drag myself through everyday life sometimes. Um, and, uh, it, it definitely kind of, you know, weighs on me and, um, uh, you know, the, the, the stresses of the world kind of, kind of get to me and stuff. And, and when I'm out there doing these things, it's like everything gets kind of boiled down and much more simple. And, um, and I think, I think part of what really appeals to me about these races is they really are all about doing it yourself and uh, being self-supported and um, really being reliant on your own preparation, your own knowledge and your own relationship with your equipment. And, um, and I really, really, really just feel so comfortable in those situations. Like I love being out there. Um, you know, I, well, you know, take a step back. I love, looking at what I'm going to go do and, uh, preparing my gear and, you know, making sure that I have the right insulation and the right sleeping and, um, the right bags to carry it. And then when I have all that kind of wrapped up in a way that I feel is very, um, ready to go. And then when I'm out there, I just have that very confidence inspiring feeling knowing that I've gone through all my gear. I know my gear, I've got what I need. And when I'm out there, I kind of feel like I really am, um, you know, not, not, not in the uh, sense of the of speed, but like, I kind of feel like a turtle, whereas I have everything I need, right. I'm necessarily on my back, mm. but me and my bike is all I need, um, to get to the next spot where I can get food and water. And, um, I just love that feeling of, you know, you've got a course, whatever it is, um, you know, point A to point B along this line and it's you and your equipment and here's your time and go. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no support vehicles. There's no, you know, all the hoopla. It's just, it's just very simple in that it's just you and your skills and your gear and, uh, and the route. And, um, and, uh, I really just feel really comfortable in those situations and I feel really, um, connected and I feel, um, I feel a lot of power coming out of, um, being out there and just absorbing the, you know, the sunrises and the sunsets and, um, and just the, the vistas and it really, really fuels my soul, I guess you could say. And, um, it's not something that I find, um, in anything else other than, you know, I, I get that same feeling going for just a hike or a bike ride. Um, but I really, really, really absorb it when I'm out there by myself and, um, really pushing myself because it kind of strips away even more of that, uh, veneer of thought and worry and stress. And the longer you're out there, the more it strips away that kind of stuff, and the more you feel like just a human being out there um, in, in 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 the woods. And um, it's uh, it just really uh, really boils it down, and really makes you find the connections to things that are really important, and um, really make you tick. And uh, you know, I said before to other people is that you know when you're out there and you're not sleeping very much, and you're doing 20 hours a day of pushing and riding your bike is that you basically are shining a flashlight into all the crevices of your brain. Um, you really get to know yourself and there's no secrets anymore. Like, you know, all your dark spots and you know what makes you, you know, tick, what makes you crazy, what makes you happy. And it really just kind of, uh, puts all those things in line and kind of resets your priorities. Yeah. Really, really well said. I mean, I couldn't have said it that any better. It's exactly how I feel when I'm out there. I mean, it's that self-sufficiency yet so simplistic, you know, it's that yeah. we have such busy, crazy lives and we have a bunch of junk in our, in our garage or house and, you know, everything is going on on a daily basis and we get used to this grind, but you 
throw a few things on your bike or on your back and you go out there in the middle of nowhere and you're self-sufficient for a few days and it's, it just, everything changes. Like you said, you're grounded and you, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't have said it any better. So good job. It, it's, it's very purifying. Um, it's just a very purifying experience. And, th- and that's one reason why I recommend, you know, not necessarily bikepacking, but anything that gets you out there and gets you, um, gets you into some new territory, maybe makes you feel a little small and scared and a little bit challenged, but down inside you feel good, you know, like you, you, because in those situations, if you did your preparation and your homework and, and things aren't just incredibly awful weather-wise, you know, you, you've got it, you've got it, you've got what you need. And, and, um, and, and it also brings what I think is an important thing that I think we forget in everyday life is that humans are capable of so much more than just going to work and paying bills, you know? Um, and I think that we don't get that far away from it living in Colorado because we're surrounded by such amazing athletes and people just pulling off just amazing things. You're just like, Whoa, you know, and like, and I, and I get a lot of inspiration from that. And I think that um, it's really important for people to not, not pigeonhole themselves into thinking they can't do something um, because, you know, like, like, I don't know how to put this in words, but like, I am not like, like a super fit Olympian athlete by any means. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm fairly fit. I'm fairly strong, you know, I know how to train, but like really it comes down to, to, to grit and determination um, is really one of the most important things in these races. Um, I, I beat people who are far more fit and far more prepared and have far better equipment than me because I just, I know what I can do. And, um, and I think it's really important for people not to, not to, um, not to basically shoot their their dreams down because they don't feel like they're capable of doing it because i think that most people are uh are capable of really 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 great things and it's just a matter of um it's just a matter of really just wanting it and uh creating the situation where it can happen yeah yeah absolutely well our logo for our show is uh you know it has the mountains but at uh in the middle of it says find your adventure at larger life we totally totally uh, believe yeah. in that. I mean, what you just described is exactly why we started this show. It doesn't matter what your adventure is. I mean, it could be it could be Everest or it could be the tiniest little adventure, but if it takes you outside your comfort zone and you get that feeling of setting out and accomplishing it and you realize that you have the power to do that, it just starts stair-stepping from then on. I mean, once you realize you can do the small yeah. thing, you try the next thing, the next thing. And it is so fulfilling. And you're right. We're not meant to be stuck in tiny cubicles, <laughs> tapping away on, on keyboards. We're meant to be out exploring this beautiful world that we're on. So, man, thanks yeah, for helping we, me inspire people to do it. And I think that we really are all capable of that, you know. And actually, I had an interesting conversation with someone the other day, and he was saying, you know, it's a little little bit out there, but like basically saying that, like, he's like, man, even like the, the, the fattest person you've ever seen, like their genes, they're, they survived the last ice age, man. Like inside of them is like a really tough, tough, mm-hmm. tough Neanderthal that can handle it, you know? And it was like, oh, interesting. Good point. I mean, I, you know, it, it really is true. I mean, I really think that um, we, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it because, and I'm still guilty of it, but I was definitely guilty of it for a really long time. And that I, I was like, you know, the tour divide is a good example. Like, I was like, whoa, you know, when I first heard about it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And then for like seven years, I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, I had, I made up a list of excuses why I couldn't do it. And then one day I did it and it was like, oh my gosh. I'm doing it. And like, it really was just the most 
amazing experience because I never thought it was actually going to happen. And when it did, it just felt so amazing and <laughs> such a powerful release. And it was like, I felt like I was just like, like 60 floating six feet above my head because the whole time I just felt so high on how amazing it was to be out there living my dream. And, and I just think it's, it's just sad that people don't allow themselves that, um, you know, it's not like every day of my life is like that by any means, you know, I have every day, my everyday life is going to work and walking dogs and making food and doing dishes and vacuuming the floor, just like everybody else. But Real person, if huh? you have, yeah, right. <laughs> but if you have that, um, at least in your head, you know, like it really can help ground you in those situations where you're just kind of like, I just want to tell my boss to stick it and I'm going home, you know, or instead you're like, you know, think about it, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen and it's not happening right now, but this is empowering that to happen. And, um, just not letting go of that dream, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, and it helps you get through things. You know, there are tough times in life that if you're, you're of the mind that you can conquer things like this, things you thought you never could. If you've conquered one of these things, then you can address the hard times in life and look at them and say, you know what? This is kind of going to suck, except I did that. I think I can probably make it through this. You know, it's, yep. it's a psychological thing. Yeah, it's, once again, it's that building that confidence of knowing that you can handle situations mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about fat biking. I saw on your blog, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, you've been doing some fat biking. So I got to be honest, when I, you know, fat biking really kind of took off this year, uh, mainstream. And, you know, I see people on the the dry trail in the summer coming by on a fat bike. And I look and I think, okay, I get, everybody's got their thing, but I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't appeal <laughs> to me whatsoever, right? However, right. um being out riding this past weekend with my son uh, up in the foothills, we encountered some snow and we got through it just fine. Except when I was on that snow, um, it finally clicked. I'm like, that's where it made sense <laughs> in the snow. And to be able to get out there and ride in the winter, even when you have uh, snow on the ground with a packed trail, you can go out and have almost, I mean, I say almost, but I imagine just as much fun as you do in the summer yeah. because you finally got a tire that can float on that surface. So tell me a little bit about yep. that. Sell me on fat biking. <laughs> and maybe what we ought to do well, is explain what fat biking is. Cause I'm not sure. I mean, we have a, a varied audience well, I mean, and I not think, everybody's into mountain. I biking. think it's, I think it's kind of interesting how, um, like fat biking kind of exploded a couple of years ago. And, um, and I think it's, it's kind of, it's almost a thing where people were like, like more captivated by the look of them than necessarily mm-hmm. the function. Um, because I mean, really all a fat bike is, is a mountain bike that's evolved to ride on snow. Um, you know, like in places like Minnesota and Alaska, they've been doing this for like 20 years where they were like, literally like <laughs> <It was> necessary <laughs> welding, welding two regular mountain bike runs together to get a little bit more of a footprint. Like they were making their own stuff. Really? And, um, what we're seeing is, is that, um, there was enough interest in that kind of stuff that the industry actually started making stuff for it. Whereas people weren't just making it in their own garages. And when, you know, when there's a full-blown manufacturing going on, all of a sudden it's way more available, way more accessible. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, we're seeing that explosion of accessibility. Um, but like you said, a lot of people are using them riding on dirt, um, just riding like a regular bike, um, which is, you know, whatever. It's just whatever floats your boat, kind of like you said. Um, but for me, it's just like, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of cross-country skiing, and I still like cross-country skiing, but I got a little burnt out on it. And um, we have pretty long winters here in Gunnison. And, um, 
you know, being an endurance cyclist, you know, you need to keep on your bike at least a little bit. And uh, usually that means riding the trainer in the winter. And um, you do enough of that and you start to hit your trainer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is basically where I'm at right now is I, I have a really hard time riding the trainer. Um, but I love getting, I mean, for me, a lot of being getting exercises being outside. Um, so the trainer just doesn't facilitate that. And um, the fat bike does. And um, it, for me, it's just basically just about riding my bike. And uh, it's just a, it's basically a bike adapted to ride on snow. Um, and, um, and, and it's, I think it's funny how some people are really rubbed the wrong way by it and all that kind of stuff. And like, I have friends who are like, but I like skiing. And I'm like, I think skiing's great. I'm not dissing skiing, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm glad you like I'm skiing. Like, Stay I, off my fat bike trail. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, no, I mean, it, I, I think it's all good, you know? Like, I mean, I, I think that human powered activity, I think is just a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I think that, we should, uh, um, as recreationalists, I think that we should stop picking fights with each other and start working together more so that we don't lose access altogether. And, yeah, um, here, here. cause you know, the, the differences are just so small and I think it's funny how quick we are to be like, Oh man, that guy, he's a dork. He's on a fat bike, you know? And when really it's just like, yeah, the guy's on a bike, he's having fun. Right. You know? And I, and same thing with like someone's running, running. I think that's great. You know? And I, I just, I, I hate that some people like, like to, um, you know, pick on other users to the point of, you know, basically creating an animosity between the, the user groups. And I think that's really unfortunate a lot of times because we really, a lot of times we're out there for the exact same reasons. We're just using a different mode of transportation. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, it's I, like, like I said, I, I still ski. I love skiing, um, but I love riding my fat bike too. So. Right. It's like, don't knock yeah. it until you try it, you know? And that's what I hadn't judged fat bikes as a dumb idea. I just thought I don't see the, the, uh, attraction to the it until yeah, I was sure. out there on snow and I'm like, okay, duh, you know, <laughs> you're being <laughs> short sighted there guy, you know, this is where it makes the difference. And, and I, and I will say that riding like, um, whether it be groomed or packed or whatever, if it's like, you know, firm, uh, single track is absolutely phenomenally fun. I mean, we, uh, we have a little bit of room single track around here and it is, I mean, it's just so flipping fun to ride. It it really is like, and I've gone on some group rides with a bunch of people and I mean, I've done a lot of group rides in my life and we did a group ride, uh, probably like a month or so ago and everybody was giggling. Like we had a, like a, a 65 year old guy, you know, a 50 year old guy. We had like, we had racers in the group. We had all kinds of different levels of riders. Everybody was giggling and having fun. And I can't think of a regular mountain bike ride that I've been on where you have six or seven people of different abilities who are all having fun. Because usually it's like the racers are like, can we go a little bit faster? Right, and right. People are like, can we take a longer break? I don't even get to stop, you know? And it was just like, it was, it was just like a, 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 it was just, to me, it was just a, a, a really good sign that like, it really is just fun. And um, it, it's, it's, it gets people out there and gets people giggling and having fun. And that, that's a, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it now. I bet the uh, fat bike on snow is a, it's a big equalizer because you're not going to go bombing down a single track trail um, like you would with, with dry grippy dirt. You know, there are certain limitations that you're going to have. You get pretty snow. close. Yeah. <laughs> if it's packed enough, you can go pretty fast, but you never go fast uphill. It's definitely slower. Yeah, right. Um, but it, like I said, it, it maybe just feels like it's fast. <laughs>
Well, and just to explain to some of the listeners not sure what a fat bike looks like if you haven't seen one, it's essentially a mountain bike where the the front forks and the rear chain stays are wider uh, enough to accept a larger tire. So basically the tire is, what is it, like four inches probably, four or five inches? Um, Four to five. Four to five inches is kind of the new standard, yeah. And it literally is just, they they call it the snowshoe effect, where it's literally you're just trying to increase the the tire footprint so that you're getting enough float that you don't sink through the the snow. Yeah, Yeah. more surface area, so... Yep, exactly. It, it completely makes sense. I'm. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about that because I wanted to tell you my story about uh, not understanding what the whole thing was <laughs> until literally this past Sunday. No worries. <laughs> well, I think what's cool is uh, you know I live uh, just north of Boulder, and we have uh, lions up here. Is uh, a little town right in the foothills before you go up to uh, Estes Park. And I just recently learned that Redstone Cycle, I don't have any affiliation with them. They're not an advertiser or anything, but I will give them a shout out because I think this is cool. What they do is they will loan you snowshoes for free if you'll go hike the trails that they want you to hike because they're having people that pack down. Yeah, they're having it packed <laughs> down for the fat bikers who are their customer and they're supporting. So they get people right. to go out there and hike the trails if you're going to go do the uh, hike as long as you hike the ones that they want you to do that need to packing down, you get free snowshoe uh, rentals. But they're also supporting these guys, which is an amazing opportunity for both sides. I think it's a great thing that they do. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, get more people out. Absolutely. All right, so yeah. let's wrap it up by I want to talk about your blog a little bit. Um, I don't. Okay. I don't think you have any reason to promote your blog. It's not like you do advertising or take advertising or make money on it. But I was I was really interested because you've kept up kept up with it. I think it's an awesome read for those who listen to our show that want some of this inspiration, just to kind of read through and and be inspired to do some of this stuff. So your blog uh, is jwookie1.com. It's J W O O K I E. Uh, one.com and you've been doing it since it looks like early 2013 yeah that sounds about right yeah all right yeah i mean uh i just wanted to kind of point it out i don't know what drives you to to keep writing like that i think a lot of people will start blogs and just kind of fall off and think "Ah, ah, that sounded like a great idea when i began but it seems like you really keep up with it i try to um i definitely have lapses where i don't uh write as often as i should um and it's definitely something where I, I, I don't just write a blog post just to like put something out there. I'd usually, I usually have something I need to say um, when I write a blog post. So it's not just uh, uh, because I have to. Um, and it, the biggest thing for me with, with the blog, um, it's been a good question because um, it's something that I'd wanted to do for a really long time because I felt like, um, I guess that sometimes uh, endurance and ultra racing feels somewhat selfish um, because you're, you're kind of putting yourself first, you know, you're worrying about your food and you're, you're saving money and you're training and you're traveling. It's all about you, you know, like it's a lot of, a lot of self involvement. Um, and I guess for me, writing the blog was, um, kind of a way of feeling better about everything I was doing and trying to share some inspiration. Um, because I feel like I get a lot of inspiration from a lot of other people and, um, not necessarily from reading their blogs, but sometimes reading blogs, but just, just getting that little spark of something that kind of changes your, you know, when you're having a bad day and you're kind of grumpy, you're not sure why you're doing what you're doing. Um, sometimes it just takes a little spark of something to kind of switch your mind over and um, think about something else and to get inspired. And, um, and I kind of just wanted to pay that back. Cause like I said, a lot of people have inspired me and helped me through a lot of dark times and um, helped me keep going when I kind of lost focus. So for me, it was just a, 
just about sharing that and giving that energy back and hopefully trying to inspire somebody else to do something. Um, because uh, like we've been saying, I think that, um, I think that people getting out and enjoying the world is really important part of what humans are supposed to be doing. And, um, and I'm just trying to kind of pay that forward and kind of get people inspired to get out there and, um, and feel what feel what those experiences can do for you, uh, because I really do feel like they've kind of changed my life. Um, you know, like uh, the Colorado Trail and um, the Tour Divide. These experiences really, 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 really have changed my life and really made me appreciate being alive and uh, made me look forward to giving more to the world. And um, and I just kind of want to just want to play that forward and uh, hopefully inspire someone else to do something. Um, and if I do, then that's fantastic. Then <laughs> I would be so stoked um, if I inspire somebody else. So, well, you're doing a good job yeah. with it, and that's why I wanted to to call it out. And I know uh, you weren't you weren't looking to do that, but I it's for the same reason we do the show. Um, I think that what people can get off your blog is inspiration. If you want to uh, get inspired and read a little bit more about. Uh, uh, I imagine everything, you know, that you've done bike touring and, uh, endurance racing, bike packing, all that stuff is, is on there. So I would point people over yep. to, uh, jwookie1.com go check out his blog. And I also encourage people, um, to ask questions in the comments on the blog posts too. I get quite a bit of, uh, feedback from people asking me questions and, and I really do, um, enjoy taking the time to give people little pointers that kind of help them feel a little more confident about getting out there. So if anybody's out there and wants to check out my blog and has questions, feel free to, to, to leave questions in the comments. I'd be happy to, to give me my two cents. Awesome. Yeah. What a resource, man. Four-time winner of the uh, Cairo Trail Race and, uh, and 2014 winner of the Tour Divide. You can't get a better person to, uh, to tap into. So guys, definitely go visit his blog and, uh, and use him as a resource. <laughs> I appreciate that. Heck yeah. Make use of it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Did free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good thing. Did you want to give a shout out to uh, to where you work at all? I don't know if they help you with uh, with any sponsorships yeah, or yeah. anything. I work at uh, Rock and Roll Sports in Gunnison, and um, yeah, they definitely support me in what I do, and um, um, and we support a lot of people in what they do too. We're a bike, ski, and climbing shop, so we we uh, we like to give people gear that gets them out there doing the doing the cool stuff for sure. Nice. All right, guys. So if you're in Gunnison, Colorado, and you want to go do some mountain biking, or uh, if you need a mountain bike repair, go uh, go check out Hefe uh, and uh, Rock and Roll Sports in Gunnison. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. That was an awesome hour. And like I said, I didn't get to hardly any of my questions, but I think the information you gave me <laughs> and the listeners has been awesome. And it was a blast to talk to you. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. No, that's fantastic. I'm really stoked to help. Awesome. All right, man. Well, take care, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for you in the next uh, CTR. Well, it might be next year, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, either way, we'll watch. <laughs> All right, happy. Awesome. Yeah, it's good talking to you. Thank good you. Night. You too. All right. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.